So we're in Matthew chapter 5. This is the beginning of this incredible Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus Christ settled himself down and he's talking to his disciples and he's got a large crowd and he goes through and he's basically telling them what the kingdom of God is going to look like. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And the very first thing he starts off with in Matthew chapter 5, as recorded by, by Matthew, is these things we call the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes are simply characteristics of somebody who is being blessed. Like you live a certain way and you get the blessings and you're blessed. And these are the characteristics of somebody who is blessed. And there's eight of them. And so what we've done in this series, if we, we've just taken four of them and applied them to the home and what it ought to look like to be a family that honors Christ. This last one is very unusual. Like it's, uh, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, 11, and 12 kind of all encapsulate this last beatitude. And it, Jesus says this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Woo! Blessed are ye. When men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. It doesn't seem very encouraging. I kind of like the other ones better, right? I, I like the other ones better. I like, I like the idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Like I want to I wanna inspire my family and I want to lead my family to be a Christ-centered home that, that loves God and has a thirst to know him more and hungers to know him more and, and sees God as loving and approachable and involved. I love the the, the sermon that we, we, we had about being pure in heart and that you can't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. And you need to take, take thought and take action as to what you're allowing into your lives and into your family. And then last week we talked about being a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper. Like, you know, just getting it out and and getting it taken care of because that's the greatest good for your family. And I love the approach that Christ takes here, but it's a little bit disconcerting because you go from these very easy, practical things to this where it says, you're going to be persecuted, right? So, so here's our thought theme through this whole thing is, we don't want just a Christian family in name only, Sunday morning, time clock Christianity, we punch in, punch out, makes no difference on Monday. That's not what we're after here. We're after a God-blessed home that centers itself around Christ, the teachings of Christ, and the relationship with him. And what happens then is that type of living, when you become a Christ-centered home, it makes a difference in your activities and your conduct, and your conversations. And so here's what's naturally going to happen. 
you become different. That's, I mean, it's, it's, you have a different set of standards, not because you're better than everybody else, but because you have somebody in your life that you're trying to please. And you have a Christ-centered home, it's going to impact your daily life and how you live. And so in this world, which is becoming increasingly less Christ-like and less tolerant of biblical principles, it is going to be increasingly more likely that we will suffer persecution. But here's, let's just be honest. What does persecution look like in the U.S.? Right? What does persecution look like for you and I and our families? Well, the word persecuted, as used in Matthew chapter 5 here, <clears throat> has, the, has the connotation of to causing to flee. It has the idea of harassing or troubling or mistreating. Okay, I can see some of that, all right? I don't feel like I have to leave my house over it. But if persecution entails maybe not beheading or death, but if persecution, as defined by this word persecuted, means harassing or troubled or mistreated in America, in this world, in the world that we live in, persecution simply looks like enduring hardship at a certain level for the faith that we have in Christ and the difference that that makes in our life. Now, I want to be very clear. What Christ is talking about here is being persecuted for righteousness. And righteousness is right living. Okay? So, Christ is not talking about being persecuted because you're a jerk. Christ is being very clear here. He's saying, blessed are you, happy are you. You are, it's evident that your life is being blessed when you are persecuted for my sake, for living with a kingdom mentality. You're pure in heart. You hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're a peacemaker. You are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. You are on purpose patterning your life and your family and the decisions that you make on what you wear and where you go and what you do in in, in the realm of honoring Christ. And so what happens, that makes you different. And if right living causes other people not to understand, Christ is saying, you're blessed. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for right living. Let me just give you an Old Testament example. Out of Genesis chapter 4, he had, like, like the first two brothers, right? Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel both brought an offering to Christ, an uh, offering to God. One was apparently what God had intended, and that was a lamb or from the livestock. And the other one, it was just from the, the sweat of his brow, he, the, the fruit of the, you know, his, what he was able to grow. 
And the Bible says that, that God had respect to the one, but not to the other. And so Cain, who brought the wrong offering, got upset based on what Abel had done to please God. And if you're familiar with the story, in the course of events, Cain picks up a rock and kills Abel. And he killed Abel because of what he had done to please God. And so here you have the first murder that ever took place was because somebody was trying to live a life that pleased God and try and do something that pleased him. So if you are a Christ-centered family, it ought to affect the way you live. And if it affects the way that you live, then you will be persecuted. And that's the key thought for today. If if you are a Christ-centered home, you will suffer persecution. So here's the question. How do we prepare our family for this? Now, let me tell you where it's difficult. Is when you have a teenage daughter that asks questions about why she can't and why we don't and all of that. That's real stuff for me. I mean, that's like, and you as a dad want her to feel good about herself and comfortable and there's peer pressure there and all of that. Or, like, when you go to a family reunion, (laughs) and you want to be Christ-honoring. There are things that you just don't feel are the right thing to do. I mean, so this happens, okay? And what I think we need to be very clear about is is that there ought to be a difference in our families that are Christ-honoring that is noticeable enough. Not because you're a jerk, not because you run your mouth, but because of the way that you live. And simply the way that you live is enough to prick the conscience of somebody else and they have a hard time with it. And that's where the persecution comes from. Christ didn't say, (laughs) blessed are you that are persecuted because you try to set everybody straight, right? Blessed are you, and and you're going to be persecuted because everybody else is an idiot, and you're the only one who knows the right. That's not what he said. Right living bothers people. And so if you are, as a dad, as a mom, as a young person, as a single guy, the, the decisions that I make to honor Christ are just going to bother people. Now, that, that, listen, that's not our goal. Please hear me. I don't want us to be creepy Christians, okay? That's like we're just interested in bothering everybody. Our goal is just to honor Christ and make God happy, and just live a life that is worthy of the sacrifice that was paid for my salvation, and live with eternity in mind, and realize that there are are bigger things at stake here than miniskirts. 
There are bigger things at stake. And I promise you, I will never wear a miniskirt because I love Jesus. Yeah. For which you can be extremely thankful. But it's like there are, there are, these, there are these societal norms that everybody does. But not my kid. She turned 16 today. Yeah. She has no email account. She has no Facebook page. But today, we're opening that door a little bit. You do what you would, but, but, so we're going to, this, that's going to be one of her things, right? She's 16, so we're going to give her an email account, and we're going to let her have a Facebook page. I won't see my daughter again until she's 25. <laughs> but I'll tell you what this dad did, and this is, and you do whatever you want to. This dad, what, I, what I've done is, all right, I Googled boundaries for Facebook, how to help your teen set boundaries for Facebook, right? So we have simple rules in our family, and so we're going to establish some simple rules for Facebook and full accessibility from mom and dad, and we're going to know login information. She's going to ask before she accepts friendships, and I realize that I'm an overprotective parent, but you raise your kids the way you want to raise them, and let me raise mine the way I think God wants me to raise them. It's not up for discussion <laughs> until you pay all of her bills. That's fine. But, but my, my thinking is I would rather be a part of her life right now where she's learning what social media is all about and can kind of walk her through that and how to honor Christ through that rather than just let it go and I hope she figures it out on her own. So it's a big day for us in the Replog household. You ought to see Melissa. Now, this is just, I'll cut this out of the message. So, Melissa and I, this morning, I, I punched up that song, 16 Candles, and Melissa and I go sashaying into her bedroom this morning, 16 Candles, <laughs> and she's like, oh, no, <laughs> and well, that just encourages me, right? <laughs> Joe, please do that some more. That's what I live for right there, <laughs> and we got about halfway through, and then she starts making fun of the way we're dancing, and uh, then, then, we, then we put it into it, but... Yeah, it's a big day for us, and, and, and I'm so honored to be her father, and she's made us so happy, but I'll be honest with you, it is a struggle, so this week we had conversations about outfits and bathing suits and all of that, and why can't, and how come, and you know, those are conversations that are not easy, but I'm the dad, and I, this, is, this is, my job is to kind of try and help my family, honor Christ and live such. And so doing that is going to produce misunderstandings, confusion, and persecution. So how do I prepare my family for persecution? And I, I'll be honest, I wish there was a different word because persecution sounds so severe. But persecution is harassment, right? Giving people a hard time. And peer pressure is a real thing, incredibly powerful. So here's just a few things. First of all, expect it. Expect persecution. We are a Christ-centered family, which means we will be different, and it can and will cost you something. It just will. 
Honoring Christ will cost you something. Thank God that it does. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. I just realized I was skipping my notes a little bit. But thank God that honoring him with our lives costs us something. Expect it. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in the second letter he wrote to him, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said this, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I would encourage you to read the context of that and get the full effect of what Paul was sharing with Timothy there. But there's the truth. If you will live godly, there will be differences in how you are living, and it's going to create tension. The world we live in is becoming increasingly more hostile towards Christian values. I get it. What, what more would we expect? But please make sure of this when you're persecuted. Make sure that you're persecuted not because of your position. I'm sorry, for your position, not because of your disposition. Those are very different things. If people disagree with how I live, at least I want them to respect the decisions that I make and understand why I make them. I don't want it to be that they're upset with me because I just treat them poorly. By the way, that's a pretty good model of life right there when it comes to how you believe politically and spiritually and everything else. Make sure that it is your position and not your disposition that causes the persecution. So expect it. And the next thing you can help your family with is is to endure it. It's going to happen. It's not going to be pleasant. Endure it. Paul, same guy that wrote Timothy, wrote a church in Corinth, and he said this in chapter 4, verse 12. He said, being reviled, and he was actually talking about himself and things that they were going through. He said, being reviled, we bless. Really, Paul? So people revile you and you bless them, okay? Being persecuted, we, the King James says, suffer it or endure it. And I love what, what it, if, you, if you look at what that word suffer is in the Greek, it means not only to endure, but to stand up straight. Like, yes, we can endure this. We're standing up straight. So we don't whine about it. We don't gripe about it. We don't retaliate. What does Paul say? We bless. We bless others. We stand up straight. And we endure it. It's not easy to dress modestly all the time. It's easier for me. I get it. But it's not easy for everybody. The younger you are, I think the harder it is to dress modestly. That's a very general term, but in a God-honoring way, in a Christ-honoring way. (laughs) Debt-free living. Living in such a way that you have 
peace financially. Looks kind of crazy to people who are financing everything to live the life that they really can't afford, but they can afford the payments. And rather than looking at the big picture and saying, you know what, we need some cushion in our life. We need some margin. We want to be able to breathe financially. It's like every time we get a raise, we spend every bit of it. And we we live in such a way that is beyond our means, and we we don't have any ability to be generous or to be Christ-honoring in our finances because we are so enslaved by the debt that we have incurred. But all your friends are driving fancy cars and living in nice houses and having nice clothes. You ever seen Uncle Buck? Jim Candy, he pulls up. That was the kind of car that we drove growing up. But it wasn't debt-free living. We were just poor. You know, I mean, and, and so you live in such a way that honors Christ with your finances. And I don't know that driving a beater does that. I'm just saying. Think about these things. It makes you different. You can't go out to eat all the time. You have to make some hard decisions. But that honors Christ. Endure it. Let me tell you why. Because it does something inside of us. It strengthens who you are. And it strengthens your relationship with Christ. Not only that, it unites your family. If you have a conversation with your kiddos or with your wife, this is who we are. Do you see where I'm coming from? Do you understand? Do you agree? And, and as a family, you're making a decision to be Christ-honoring. You want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You want to be pure in heart. You are, you are taking care of problems and issues, and you're doing whatever you can to live a life that is Christ-centered as a family. It strengthens you as a family. But peer pressure is a very real thing. But let me, if if family identity is strong, then peer pressure is weak. Think about this. If you make this a thing for your family, this is what we are. This is who we are. Replogs don't do this. This family right here is going to honor Christ, and that's why we don't wear that. That's why we don't go here. That's why we don't watch that. It's because we want to live a life that honors Christ. If it means that we miss out on a few things that everybody else is doing, I'm cool with that. And when you have a strong family unit and that identity is strong, then it weakens the effect that peer pressure has on your kids. Do you get that? But then, like, if your family identity is weak and you don't have clear boundaries, and you don't have a lot of unity as a family in what you're doing to honor Christ, then peer pressure is going to be very strong. And let me tell you, parents, peer pressure is hard to overcome. You've got to get ahead of that game. You've got to make sure that your family understands this is how we honor Christ. So expect it, endure it, and then I love this, embrace it. Embrace it. This takes it one step further. This is the attitude changer. We can expect persecution. We can even endure persecution. But when we embrace persecution, something different happens because now we follow Christ and his example. And I, on purpose, put this entire passage up on the screen. Because in case you don't have your Bible with you, 
or your phone app out. I want you to see the words that are in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. You talk about being able to do something to honor your life, honor Christ with your life. Peter says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Why is this happening? Don't treat it that way. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. When his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I love that. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you? For the spirit, the glory of God rests upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But, not let, none of, but let none of you suffer. I love this. As a murderer or thief or evildoer or busybody in other man's matters. It's like, I love it that Paul put that in the middle of all of that. Peter put that in the middle of all of this. It's like, you can be persecuted for that too, by the way. But don't let that be why you're persecuted. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. This is where you embrace it. When you pray in public before you eat a meal. You're at a restaurant. It's awkward. It's just something that my family does. We pray at home before a meal. We hold hands. And it's, it's very obvious that you're praying. You know? You could do it the loser way and Thank you for the food. <laughs> I don't think that even counts. We pause. Now, we don't pray for all the missionaries all around the world. All right? I pretty much thank God for just a few things and for the food that's before us, and, and we're done because I'm hungry, and the food's getting cold, and God knows my heart. But we pray. We, we do that in public. When I'm eating alone in public, I pause, take a moment, and bow my head. I think it's important. My goal is not to make somebody else feel awkward who's at the table with me. My goal is to be Christ-honoring with my life and take a moment and pause and thank God for his provision for me. It's all about your attitude and your focus. I love this. Thank you, God, that we can live for you. That's where you embrace it. Man, you've done so much for us. I want to embrace this life of honoring Christ. And then this is the last thing. I don't even know if this is a word. Eternalize it. Okay? I think I made it up, but it's probably out there somewhere. But eternalize this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, the last verse of the passage that we read from our text this morning. It says, rejoice and being exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So here's the thing. Live with eternity in mind. This is a very temporal thing. Whatever we're going through is a temporary situation. I want to live a life that honors God. 
I want to live a life that does the most good for the kingdom of God. And I want to live a life that is eternally focused. Eternity is forever. I don't know. Yesterday, I had an aha moment. And, and, and forgive me for being sentimental. But I turned 50 in December. And I, and I yesterday... It just hit me that I'm definitely on the back half of my life here. Okay? And it was very sobering. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm over the hill. Thanks for the chuckle. Your support is overwhelming. But I can see the crest, right? I mean, I... And I'll be honest with you. You start taking inventory of your life. What have I? What have I done here? Like, like, have I done? Have I made the most of it? And then I think of the years that I have left. Who knows what that is? My mom and dad both died. What I consider an early age in their mid sixties. I've been here for twelve years. 12 more years puts me at 62. Thank you. You see where... I'm just sad now. But it's like, honestly, I got... I got melancholy yesterday thinking, man, you know, I've, 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 I've wanted my life to count for Christ. And I've wanted to make a, a difference for Christ. And I've wanted to make something out of this life that God has given me. And I want to make a difference for all of eternity. And I know I'm going to heaven and I'm excited about that. I just, I'm just not done yet. And so living with eternity in mind and eternalizing everything, I, I start to think of my kids and my, my grandkids and all of, all of that that I want to have a hand in and, and be a part of their lives and, 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 and the church here and, and, and helping people. And I'll tell you, I, it's very easy for me to have a better perspective of what life really is all about. And I think we ought to enjoy the life that we've been given. And I think we ought to live life to the fullest. But your perspectives in life change when heaven is in view. And I think we need to eternalize the life that we're living. And live in such a way that you're not going to be ashamed of what you did when you get to heaven. That you made the most of the life that you are given every moment, every hour, every day, the relationships. So here's the last thought. Don't worry (laughs) when you are persecuted. Worry when you're not. Because Maybe there's not enough of a difference in your life that's noticeable. And can I emphasize this one more time? 
I don't think this is a license for being an idiot and being a jerk. I think that as you honor Christ with your life and that becomes your focus, some people just don't see it the same way. And that's going to happen. And we have to expect it, endure it, embrace it, and eternalize it. Because one day, this is all going to be over. And the only two things that are in heaven that are here on earth will be the Word of God and the souls of men. So those are the two things I need to be investing my time in. There's only so much life you have left. Live a Christ-honoring life. And if you do, it's going to be a beautiful thing. But people don't always understand. Let's pray. Father, we are honored to be counted worthy to live in such a way that honors Christ. And if there is some backlash because of that, and so be it. And help us to love people well. Help us to love you well. But help our focus to be honoring you. And winning other people to you. And so we have to honor you with our life. But then also love people well. So we can bring them to you. So they can honor you with their life. And help us to be good sons and daughters of you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.